0: Good morning, everyone. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Luciana, for reading. Let's pray together. Oh, Christ, our peace, would you settle our minds, settle the distractions in our busy lives, settle our hearts, calm the churning that's inside of us, transform us now and forever through your holy word and give us your peace. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we are, uh, we're in the season of Advent. Advent is, is different, properly speaking, from Christmas. Advent is when we anticipate, when we look forward to Christ. It's actually unique in that we can name uh, the hard parts of our lives and be honest about them and still find hope. That we're not just trying to cover over them like sweeping the dust under the rug, um, but we're, we can name it and then we can take it to God. There are four traditional themes of Advent, and if you think about I mean, at a surface level, we talked last week about kind of hallmark themes. At the surface level, they seem like hallmark themes. You see these words on hallmark cards a lot. The four themes are hope, peace, joy, and love. And you can imagine, you've, you've all, we've all gotten, we've probably sent a lot of cards that have those words written on them, and it's a nice, beautiful kind of cursive script, and there's a really picturesque scene or something that just kind of puts our hearts at ease. But when we really think about it, hope and peace and joy and love are not just shallow, hollow, hallmark themes. They are robust Peace is not just something we think about where it's like, ah, peace and quiet and all of the distractions of my life and stresses of my life are melted away. Peace is something much deeper than that. So this morning we're exploring the theme of peace. It's the traditional theme of the second Sunday of Advent. What exactly is peace? I remember years ago I was uh, walking downtown shortly after we had moved to New Hampshire. Uh, we're from the south, where um, unions are not as strong as they are up north, and so I, I encountered my first union protest. And They had this giant you know, giant inflatable pig, which had a lot of symbolism going on, and all these people with signs and pickets right downtown in Market Square, and, um, and I was really struck by that. And I just kind of stood and watched and took it in, and I remember one sign specifically that said, no contract, no peace, which I thought was an odd sign for a peaceful protest. Uh, but no contract, no peace. Is that really what peace is? I mean, it's kind of hinting at it. But in a, in a sense, it's much deeper. We long for, for peace, for real peace. And this morning, Isaiah is going to teach us about peace. Or more properly, God is going to teach us about peace through Isaiah. He's going to paint a vision for peace. In other words, what does true peace look like? Number two, he's going to paint, give us a way to peace. How do we get there? And number three, he's going to paint kind of the result of peace. What does the world look like when we have true peace? But let's start with the vision, because we have to explore a little bit. What what is real peace? Not just, again, not just something shallow, not just something that's abstract. What is real peace? This is what Isaiah paints uh, towards the end of the reading, um, some weird imagery. Don't let it be just about, like, try to actually envision what he's, the, the picture he's painting here. I'm starting in verse six, if you want to follow along. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. You ever thought about the relationship between a wolf and a lamb? typically. What's the normal relationship between a leopard and a goat? What's the normal relationship between a calf and a lion? That one's a little weird. When I think calf, I think cow, and that's domestic. But can you imagine? He keeps going. He says, the cow will feed with the bear and the young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. You ever seen a vegetarian lion before? The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. Parents, would you ever let your kid play near the, the den of a cobra? This is completely unrealistic. To our world, to our way of thinking, Isaiah is painting a picture that's completely unrealistic. A wolf would not live with a lamb without immediately eating it. A lion would not lie down with a calf without immediately pouncing on it. But Isaiah paints this picture of a world that is so at peace and in such perfect harmony that those things are the norm. What exactly is peace then? It's not just the absence of conflict. That's part of it. You, you can't. If, if there's conflict, you obviously don't have peace. But the biblical sense of peace is really much deeper and much more rich. Uh, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. The best way I know to describe it is not in, you know, we think of it in terms of negatives. There's not conflict. There's not bad stuff. But it's not just the absence of negatives. It's the presence of a pure positive. Shalom is when everything is as it should be. When you think about peace, don't just think about no war or no uh, political tension around the family dinner table at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Don't just think about no conflict with your boss. It's not just the absence of bad things. But it's it's a fullness when everything is as it should be. When I was much younger, um, when my grandfather was still alive, we were sitting around the Thanksgiving table, and it was our family, and a couple of aunts and uncles, and my grandparents, and there must have been about at least a dozen of us around the table. Uh, And uh, (laughs) when my dad and his brother got together, uh, they would always start telling stories of growing up, and they were were just rowdy growing up. And so there's always these stories of, you know, firecrackers and mailboxes, and this and that and the other, and a lot of laughter and all of these. And, And so we were just, they were carrying on and telling stories and laughing together and and my grandfather, by this point, was old enough to where he, he was just slowing down. He couldn't really keep up with everything, and he didn't know half these stories, and his hearing was failing, so he, you know, he, just, he was there, but he wasn't fully there. But at one point, he kind of cut in, sitting at the head of the table, I'll never forget this, at my uncle's house. And he said something to the effect of, you know, I, I know I can't even hear everything that's going on, And I know I can't follow everything that's going on. And I know I haven't really said a whole lot. But I love being here with you all. And I love seeing you love each other and laugh together. And then he said something like, you know, now you just, you keep on going on doing what you're doing. Like that, that's shalom. That's shalom, not just the absence of conflict, but sitting around the table and laughing and carrying on, and not just that, but recognizing the beauty of that moment, getting completely lost in the joy of the moment, and the blessing, in this case, my grandfather blessing us by recognizing that moment. That is everything as it should be. There's a tension that introduces, because our world is obviously not like that, is it? Everything is not as it should be. We get tastes of it, but it's not all that way. Globally, it's not. Just in our country, our, kind of our society, our culture, it's not. I mean, just look again to the, the tension that surrounds political identity and racial identity. and like We, we know that everything is not as it should be. We even know this personally. We feel the the unease in our lives, whether it's at work, maybe you have tension with a coworker. Maybe it's at home. You feel tension with somebody in your family. The kids won't stop bickering. <laughs> Everything is not as it should be. So the lion laying down with the lamb is a really nice image, but it doesn't feel very practical doesn't feel very realistic. What do we do? What do we do with that? You know, the ancient Israelites felt much the same. We're looking at Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 10 right before this. Isaiah paints a picture of Israel as a forest that's been clear-cut. You ever been through a forest that's been clear-cut? I remember I was hiking once after college, I hiked through Europe for a couple of months and I was hiking the West Highland Way in Scotland. Uh, if you've ever been to Scotland, similar to Ireland, it's one of the greenest places on earth because it never stops raining. And so, hiking through this beautiful greenery and forests, and like literally the mountains are green. They're just covered in, I don't know if it's grass or moss, but it's just perfect for greenery to grow. And at, at one point in the hike, I get to a, a place where they were logging, and it was a complete scar on the landscape. Isaiah paints a picture of Israel as a forest that's just been clear cut. They were once a mighty oak tree or a mighty cypress tree and now they're nothing but a wistful stump. Where is the peace in that? This is when Isaiah comes in and says, a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. A shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Just like that image we saw in the children's story. I remember asking my dad about this image once My dad was a horticulturist, and so he, he, (laughs) my dad, he had this unnatural love for trees and shrubs. Uh, There's a picture. I put a picture up here um, of my dad. This is how much he loved trees. Uh, My brother took that photo. He said they were out hunting with his dad, with with our dad, and he said my dad saw this tree and loved it. It was some sort of tree that's not supposed to grow that big, but it did. And he wanted to take a picture of him next to that tree to show to all his buddies who I guess love trees as much as he did. Um, <laughs> so I asked my dad, like, "What? help me with this imagery, because I don't really... Uh, he said, here's, here's what's going on. When you cut down a tree, you have a stump. Well, we, I, I didn't need him to tell me that. I knew that. But you cut down a tree, you have a stump. But you get these shoots that can grow out of the stump. Now, you would think the stump was dead. But these little shoots, they're basically little tree saplings. They grow up out of the stump, and we've probably all all seen something like this, I don't know if you've paid much attention to it, but if you let that shoot, that little sapling, grow long enough, it'll grow and grow and grow, and if it has the right conditions, eventually it'll become a tree just as big as the one that preceded it. And here's what's really important to know, my dad said, the shoot does not displace the stump. So it's not like the shoot is its own tree that grows and eventually the stump around it kind of dies and decays and now you have a new tree. No, the shoot actually grows from the old stump. So the, the roots of the old stump become the arteries for nourishment, for all of the, 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 the water and the nutrients that the shoot needs. So, the, so literally, so it's almost like a graft. You know, like when you graft, I don't know if, again, it's agricultural imagery, you graft a branch of one tree onto another, and the host tree becomes, it doesn't displace, but it becomes the kind of the source of life for that graft. The stump becomes the source of life for this little sapling. It doesn't replace it, but it grows out of it. Not only that... But because that little sapling, that little shoot, is growing from the stump, the stump gains new life. Think about it. If nothing grew out of that stump, eventually it would die. It would decay and it would rot. But even that tiny little sapling growing out of it gives the roots just enough to where they start feeding nutrients again and it stays alive. The stump that you thought was dead becomes alive because this tiny little insignificant sapling, something you could probably pluck out with your hands at first, grows out of the stump and give it enough time and it will become just as big a tree as the one that preceded it. God raises new life slowly but surely out of old dead stumps. That's what he does. When Isaiah uses this image, he's not painting a nice, artistic, poetic image of something that... No, like he's... This actually happens. This is not just Isaiah, the artist, painting with words. It's God, the artist, painting with all creation, showing how he works in the world. There's one more important note that Isaiah draws out. The shoot doesn't just become this big, pretty, ornamental tree... It becomes a big, productive, fruit-bearing tree. It produces fruit and seeds that will fall and grow new trees as well. You see this? Look at verse 1. A shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So God doesn't just leave us with an abstract picture, an abstract image of peace. He shows us what it will look like. Peace is coming because a shoot is growing from the stump of Jesse, and it's going to bear fruit. What will that fruit look like? Look at verses 3 and 4. He, that's the shoot, and by the way, if you haven't, we'll get there later, but I'll give away the ending. The shoot is Jesus. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Pay attention to who benefits. With righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. The needy, the poor of the earth. He's not just talking about poor as in finances. Surely that's included. And all throughout scripture, God shows a a concern for people who don't have everything they need in terms of material things. Maybe think ahead to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to whom? The poor in spirit, to the people who are broken, who are beat up, who have low, fe- low spirits, who don't have it all together, who are hanging on by a thread. Jesus says, if that's you, you are closer to the kingdom of heaven than you realize kingdom of God belongs to the poor in spirit. The shoot that is growing from the stump of Jesse will bear fruit and will benefit who? The poor. The needy. If you find yourself in a hard spot, there is hope to be found. I know it doesn't feel like it right now. Just like the sapling doesn't, like it doesn't look like a lot. It looks pretty minor. It looks like maybe a weed at best, something that'll die when, when winter comes in a, a hard frost. But look ahead to where that thing will grow. Now, if you're in a hard spot, you think, I, I don't feel that way. I know. <laughs> it doesn't feel that way. We talked last week about the importance of finding our hope not in present circumstances, but in a future promise. Because Isaiah, remember, he's writing about, in a sense, he's writing about the future. But when we know the future, it changes how we live now. Think about um, one example that comes to mind. Think about something like an inheritance. Maybe some of you have received an inheritance. When When you know that you are going to inherit something, when you know that you are an heir of an estate, when you know the future, it changes how you live now, doesn't it? Now it doesn't mean you go out and squander everything now because you know that there's more coming down the pipe later. That would be foolish, that's irresponsible. So it, doesn't, it hasn't totally changed your circumstances yet. But do you rest a little bit easier at night knowing that maybe I can retire? That maybe I actually can help pay for my kids' college education. That maybe things won't be as tight as they are. Do you breathe a little bit easier? It doesn't instantly change everything. But it changes you. Isaiah's writing in the future tense. Saying the shoot will grow it will grow into this mighty cypress this mighty cedar this fruit bearing where the needy and the poor will will be completely they'll have their needs completely met and sometimes it just feels like a little sapling but look at what it will grow into how does that change our attitude how does that change how we live If you know that peace is coming, it's on the way, it is growing, that the Prince of Peace is doing his work, even right now, does that change how you live? I wonder if if we really recognize this, if that means we might actually find ourselves working harder for peace, to be peacemakers in our world. He's writing in the future tense, but there's also a past tense dimension to this. Because remember, Isaiah's writing probably about 700 B.C., 2,700 years ago. So 2,700 years ago, he's writing in the future. A shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. And sure enough, about 700 years later, a shoot grew from the stump of Jesse. Little insignificant, tiny, you wouldn't even notice it walking by, unless you were really looking for it. A baby born to an unwed mother in the middle of nowhere, backwoods area of the world that nobody had ever heard of before. The baby became a child. The child grew in wisdom and in stature, became a man who had this career as a traveling teacher functionally homeless for about three years before his career was cut short. He taught a ragtag group of nobodies. He died early at 33. (laughs) Is that how you bring peace to the world? You wouldn't think it, would you? But what has that shoot grown into? A worldwide movement, over a billion people, whose lives are still, even today, 2,000 years later, being transformed by someone who taught us to love our enemies and turn the other cheek. The kingdom of God is coming. It's not going to come as we expect. We're looking for a giant oak tree when in reality God says, look for that little sapling. Sometimes our hope is about as big and as fragile as that little sapling. Sometimes even our sense of peace in the world is as fragile as that little sapling. God says, it's coming. It's coming because I've done it. Jesus didn't only teach us, he showed us that the path to greatness is through service. The path to glory marches through the fire of suffering. The path to life runs, in fact, straight through death. But in Jesus Christ, we find peace for the world. Jesus, who suffered the greatest injustice so that justice might be served. Jesus, who suffered the harshest violence, the greatest possible violence, to make peace, to make everything as it should be. Don't look in the obvious places for peace. And if you're feeling uneasy, if you're not feeling all that peaceful, no, it'll grow. But look for those saplings, namely, look for Christ. Those small little hints of peace, counterproductively, that everybody else misses, but that we know will grow into the peace of the world. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are the peace of the world. And in a world that doesn't feel very peaceful, sometimes it's hard to reconcile that. But would you continue to show us how you are the peace of the world? Encourage us by showing us how in fact your kingdom is growing and is becoming this mighty, immovable tree. Forgive us for looking to ourselves for peace. Forgive us for thinking we can accomplish peace on our own. But when we're feeling most restless and most disturbed, give us the grace to focus our attention on the one who is our true peace. It's in his name we pray. Amen.